welcome to McLean's pop culture podcast, The Thrill, for the week of May 1st. On this week's show, we talk about the growing transgender visibility in pop culture and media, Bern Cox, Carmen Carrera, and most recently, Bruce Jenner. We'll speak with trans artist and activist Cyrus Marcus Ware to discuss what mainstream pop culture and media are getting right and wrong with covering transgender issues. And we'll speak with Dimitri Reeves, a dancer who took to the 10th streets of Baltimore to try and lighten the spirits of those embroiled in the riots and became a social media celebrity when videos of his tributes to Michael Jackson surfaced as he played MJ's music and danced in the streets amid protesters and police. We'll talk to him about why he went out there, what it's like moonwalking in front of a line of riot police, and the ongoing situation in Baltimore. I'm Julia. I'm Emma. And I'm Adrian. And this is The Thrill. Identifying as transgender, where one's gender identity doesn't match one's assigned sex, is a story as old as any human story, but only recently has it started to appear with some visibility and tentative acceptance in media and pop culture, most recently with Bruce Jenner. Yes, for all intents and purposes, I am a woman. People look at me differently. Uh, They see you as this macho male, but my heart and my soul and everything that I do in life, um, it is part of me. That female side is part of me. That's who I am. With us to discuss today, we have Cyrus Marcus Ware, an artist, community activist, researcher, youth advocate, and educator. He's a trans man who has written on the subject extensively, contributing to books like Trans Bodies, Trans Selves, and Primed, a back pocket guide for trans guys and the guides who dig them. He is a founding member of the Transparency Working Group uh, at the 519 Community Centre in Toronto, and he helped to initiate Trans Fathers to Be course, the first course for trans men considering parenting in North America. Cyrus, welcome. Thanks for having me. Once Laverne Cox came on the scene through Orange is the New Black a couple of years ago, uh, who is a trans woman who plays a trans woman on television, there has been some more regular uh, visibility of trans characters in films and TV, like Jeffrey Tamor in Transparent, um, Jared Leto in Dallas Buyers Club, uh, Eddie Redmayne is about to play a transgendered woman in The Danish Girl. And there's also been more visibility of trans folks in the media. There's uh, author Janet Mock, who wrote the New York Times bestseller uh, Redefining Realness, Teek Milan, a journalist and a documentarian, uh, Jay Kelly, who is R. Kelly's teenage son, who has recently come out as trans, and most recently Bruce Jenner in the interview with Diane Sword this past weekend. So as I say, trans people have existed forever. So why do you think mainstream media is, um, is interested now? Well, I think that there, I mean, there certainly has been um, uh, a legacy and a history of, unfortunately, very sensationalistic coverage of of trans stories. I mean, if you look at the media frenzy around uh, people like Christine Jorgensen, you know, more than 50 years ago, um, I mean, certainly there has been an interest in that. But I think that right now uh, we're seeing some a pretty magical constellation of things happening. I mean, on the one hand, you have um, a real grassroots movement um, of people pushing for and creating uh, policies, uh, developing services and programs, and creating resources that allow more and more people uh, to come out and to talk about being trans and to create a real critical mass of trans people in North America and around the world. So you have that happening. We have uh, more and more public figures, um, 
having the courage to come out and to talk about their identities. And that um, sort of creates a bit of a celebrity buzz around the story. Um, You have activists and lobbyists organizing together to make systemic changes at a a governmental level. So with, you know, organizers working around bill, um, the Toby's bill for the Canadian government to get uh, trans rights recognized in the Human Rights Rights Act, things like that, that sort of all come together, this grassroots movement, the sort of more public figures coming out, lobbying at a governmental level, programs, resources, uh, and together it creates sort of a a situation where this decade is really set to become something pretty amazing that's been created by and for trans people. Um, So it's kind of an amazing moment. But I think that, you know, even with this sort of amazing moment, and we're moving into this really incredible decade of trans rights and trans liberation, we also, on the flip side, are seeing a real lack of representation uh, and storytelling about um, the very real ways that transphobia is affecting trans communities. And so this is still, there's still a dearth of stories about this. And this is an area where we actually need more visibility and more reporting. So just since the beginning of 2015, we're only in month four, and there's been more than 12 trans people who have been murdered, right? And where is the reporting about uh, Lamia Beard, about uh, Sumaya Delmar? You know, where 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 are they their stories in the media? Um, we don't still have a lot of uh, discussion or reporting or representation about the ways that transphobia is making trans people lose their jobs. I mean, at an unprecedented rate, the Trans Pulse study, which was the largest study of trans people in Ontario, they showed that trans people are more likely to be overeducated and underemployed. So why are we not telling those stories? Um, Trans youth are are being bullied and dropping out of school at an alarming rate. Um, so there's still, so there is this visibility, but there's also still a lot of gaps in terms of what we talk about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, with Laverne Cox and Teek Milan, they were on uh, the Katie Couric show, and Janet Mock was interviewed by Pierce Morgan. After the interviews were over, both Morgan and Couric were criticized for uh, focusing too heavily on the surgery aspect of being trans or the transition aspect of being trans, the genital aspect of being trans. And then both Laverne Cox and Janet Mock spoke out afterwards to say that's not really, that kind of buries the real issues, which kind of what you, what you just defined right now about um, severe depression among trans youth. And in that same TransPulse study, they TransPulse looks at problems identified from the Ontario trans community. They said that almost half of the study participants aged 16 to 24 said that they've seriously considered ki- killing themselves mm-hmm. in the last year. And 90% have tried. That's a lot. It's always sensationalized. Trans people, certainly in the media, are often is. Um, and the real issues kind of get skirted. Absolutely. And I mean, in those situations, I mean, here you have an opportunity to talk to uh, two uh, two trans women who are arguably, arguably um, you know, some of the greatest thinkers on these issues in this current moment. I mean, they're writing, they're, they're politically active, they're connected to, to organizing in communities, and you have an opportunity to talk to them, and you want to talk about their bodies, mm-hmm. right? Like, what are we doing? Um, you know, you have uh, this real... Um, uh, development of trans theory, uh, of cultural trans theory, of trans activism, um, and a real immediate pressing need in terms of the lives of trans youth where we really need some action and activism and discussion and we talk about bodies. Mm -hmm. Instead, we just constantly talk about bodies. I mean, I don't think it's that different 
from that movement on the red carpet where there was like a whole bunch of women actors who were like, seriously, you're asking me about my dress? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I, you know, I've done this amazing work and that's what you want to ask I me about? I even noticed that a lot with Bruce Jenner's coming out because now that, that um, he has come out, um, and I don't know if, did he say in the interview if he'd like to use, be addressed by female Not pronouns? Right he no. said for right now yeah. to use Okay, so... Pronouns. So when he came out, uh, you know, there was lots of congratulations going around from from mainstream media. But, you know, up until that point, it was very sensational and disrespectful and speculative. Mm-hmm. And so I think that maybe where like media is their media is not yet ready to accept that there are unanswered questions. It's like, we'll accept you, but we need to know where you stand. Like We need to know how you define yourself or we don't know what to do. We're going crazy. And, you know. Yeah. Do you find that's true at all? I mean, totally. There's there's so much pressure um, to to define your gender. I think that when we look historically, you know, societies weren't always organized around gender as a main organizing principle where there would be two genders or eight genders or whatever. Gender wasn't that important uh, in the way it's so paramount to our lives right now. The first thing you ask when someone's you know, given birth is, is the baby a boy or a girl? Not how was your labor, you know, 56 hours, yikes. How are you feeling? Do you want a sandwich? But, you know, I want to know the genitals of your baby. Like that's, it's so much part of how we organize our society. And so when somebody um, says, well, actually I'm changing my gender, I'm I'm socially transitioning or I'm medically transitioning, it becomes a real affront to the way that we organize our society. And so people get very nervous and they get very jumpy and they want you to just pick, just pick one side. And I think that for a lot of, I mean, the reality is, is that a lot of trans people may never choose one side. And for all of the people who are gender free or gender less or gender neutral, I mean, I myself am somebody who transitioned from female to male. You know, Bruce Jenner was sort of talking about this transition to a female identity. But for the people who are gender neutral or or in the middle, um, there's a real invisibility. And it's completely silencing if you're expected to pick one side or the other. And you're saying, well, actually, this is not a two-sided issue. This is like a a dodecahedron or whatever. Yeah. Uh, just on the Bruce Jenner interview, I mean, you, so you saw the, the 2020 interview. What were your sort of thoughts on, on what you saw there? I mean, it, it, on the one hand, I mean, I think that it's very complicated, right? Because, mm-hmm. I mean, on the one hand, you know, there's some amazing, amazing people who have said all that he's, all that he said and more. Um, amazing uh, trans people of color who, who who have done similar interviews in recent years uh, who are sort of not given the profile that Bruce Jenner is given. So, I mean, that's, that's, you know, that's frustrating. But on the other hand, you know, I was so, there was this one line um, that they said where they said, you know, uh, we're going to change the world. Um, and we're, I'm in this, we're going to change the world together. And for me, that was, I, I kind of, everything else blurred away. And that was so interesting to me because I really believe that this is just part of a, again, a groundswell of, of change because we can get back to, to a way of organizing our communities that isn't so focused on gender. And this is part of it. I mean, trans people allow us, uh, when we talk about our lives, um, it allows us all to think about gender in a different way, all of our genders Mm -hmm. in a different way. And it's actually really freeing. So to me, what I took away from it with all of the media frenzy and the Kardashians and everything Mm -hmm. was this idea that in fact, actually, we are all in this to change the world. And why? Because of the stats that you told us, because the world is not working 
working for all of us. Mm -hmm. And so we can make a world that works better for all of us. Yeah, I think what was remarkable about it, too, is just the idea that they, they devoted two hours to this interview, which is not an insignificant chunk of time. That's like, a, you know, that's a sports game, effectively. That's <laughs> the kind of draw that gets. And the fact that, uh, you know, this is this is a high profile celebrity with a with a reach that is so different from what, you know, sort of normally uh, people who are in, like sort of come across trans issues, you know, 18 year olds who watch uh, Keeping Up with the Kardashians generally don't engage with that kind of stuff. And now, you know, here it is. And I thought that I was amazing. The the sort of how far we've come in some way. I mean, certainly there's a lot that we still have to do, but but there is a sense of having seen this interview, a two-hour interview. We're not talking about the kind of stuff that we talked about with uh, Pierce Morgan and those other interviews. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, did you uh, get a sense of the fact that this is like there was some progress here too? Well, I think, you know, for a lot of people who are more marginalized, I mean, tr- Toronto has an unusual situation where we have like a extremely large proportion Proportionally speaking, a number of trans people living in the city. It's an urban center. Uh, You know, there's a lot of programs and resources here. There still needs to be more, absolutely. But there's a lot of programs and resources here. And for those who are in more marginalized situations, in more rural areas, or maybe even living in an urban center but not connected to trans communities or LGBT communities, there can be a real um, sense of isolation and invisibility. And I think that anything that can kind of break through and say that, in fact, yes, actually, trans people exist. Uh, We love our lives, and you can love your life. Uh, We're here together. We're in this together. That is essential. That's so important to the work, um, to saving lives, actually, because I think if you feel that you're the only one, if you don't even have a name or a word to describe what you're feeling, um, it, it can really drive people to think that there's something fundamentally wrong with me, and therefore, I should not be here. Right. And what we're saying, I think, in this, you know, any any of these stories that kind of get a large profile, they have the potential to say to somebody, you are not alone. There are many of us. In fact, actually, there are many, many, many of us. Mm-hmm. And we've existed since the beginning of time. Mm-hmm. But there are many of us. And, um, and you're okay. Right. Can you tell us a little bit about your story as a trans man? Like, did you know from a young age that you were a male, something that you came to realize later about? Like, how did your family... Well, I mean, I, I'm an identical twin. So um, I think that that is a kind of unique experience. I know a couple of other trans twins, and we kind of we've talked about this. So for me, I mean, whatever decisions I wanted to make about my life, whatever things I, I may or may not have known, I knew one thing, I looked exactly the same as my twin. Mm-hmm. And there is something about being a twin and looking, especially an identical twin, and looking like your twin that is really important. I, I don't know if there's a culture of twins, but culturally as twins, that's a really important thing to look like your twin. So for me, I think the, the thing that really kind of stands out when I think back to my process was this negotiating what will it mean to take steps that will actively make me look different, which is something that I'm interested in doing, um, but that will potentially make me look very different from my twin. So that was a really big kind of issue. I mean, I started uh, transitioning, I guess what they would now call socially transitioning in 2000. And at the time, there was really not a lot of resources. There was not a lot of information. um, And I 
I had very specific questions. Bef- I, I knew that I wanted to consider a medical transition, but um, the kinds of questions that I had, there were no answers to. So I knew that I wanted to become a parent. They had very little information about um, what medical transition would do to your reproductive cycle, um, to your potential ability to become pregnant. And in fact, in an actually quite an insidious way, there, you could argue that there were some um, Certain, certainly there were medical professionals who encouraged trans people to consider not becoming parents. Um, and I would have none of that. <laughs> so for me, um, you know, a lot of my early, the early parts of my transition, um, it was it was totally immersed with activism because I was saying, well, actually, I'm sure I'm not the only person who has these questions. And in fact, the more that I asked around, a lot of people had questions. So that's why we came together to create the the trans fathers to be course because there were other trans people who wanted to become parents and they had questions as well like what happens if you have top surgery can you still breastfeed your baby or chest feed your baby what about you know all what about hormones and you know all of these things people had a lot of questions um so to me um that was sort of like the two piece of it was that i i knew from a very young age that i wanted to get to live my life on my terms and so when i began transitioning that was that was true, you know, as well. And I think that one of the big shifts that we've seen in the last 20 years, but certainly in the last 10 years, is trans people saying, well, actually, the transition is going to look how I need it to look. Mm-hmm. And so I can take my time. I can stop. I can start again. I can do what I want to do because this is my life. And that is... You know, that kind of agency comes from this groundswell, from the power in numbers, from people saying, well, actually, you know, there's also a whole bunch of trans doctors now who are like, well, actually, I'm the doctor and I think that's a great idea. And, you know, I think that um, anyways, that's that's sort of been my process. My family was, you know, it was hard at first. It was certainly hard, again, because of the twin thing. It was certainly a hard process to kind of for everybody to get their head, heads around. Um, but here we are, and they've been incredibly supportive. Mm-hmm. I mean, it took us time. And I think that that's one thing that, you know, we just have to kind of accept is that it sometimes will take family time to get used to new things in your life, whatever those new things are. And this was a big new thing. Mm-hmm. Um, last year, uh, it was World Pride in Toronto, and my family marched with me in the Trans March. It was the first time that there ever was a Trans March in World Pride ever. And there's my family holding the banners for the transpose sign, actually, um, marching in the march. So, I mean, a lot of things can happen if you throw a bit of time to it. Um, and, you know, my twin, you know, who I was so worried about, like, what would she think? And is this going to hurt her feelings? Because what do you say to someone who looks exactly like you when you say, I actually don't really want to look like that? I mean, it's kind of like, I don't know. It's yeah. it's difficult. And in the end, she's my biggest supporter, and um, I'm so thankful to her. And I think, you know, now we have a, a young person in our family who is is very young, who's under the age of 10, who is gender nonconforming. I would have never guessed that this is how it's, you know, this is how it would turn out, but it just turns out that some, a young person in our family is gender nonconforming. What are the chances? Two trans people in a family. How lucky can a family get? Anyways, so, and my family's been amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've been through it. They know what to say. They know what to do. They're so supportive. And this young person is getting to to have all of that support from day one, which I think is that reverses the cycle of violence. Yeah, that's great. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, just to bring it back a little bit to um, pop culture, I just wanted to ask you about 
what your opinion is of how trans people are being represented in film, television. We talked about it a little bit. Transparent, Orange is the New Black. What do you think of that? I mean, on the one hand, it's just so great that there's such an interest in telling um, telling stories that have a variety of different characters, including trans characters. Mm-hmm. I think that's great. It's really exciting when there's um, stories where trans people are in the movie, but not just about being trans. Mm-hmm. You know, that's really encouraging that we get to a point where, you know, you get to just be part of the story. It doesn't have to be about, oh, so you're transitioning um, as a movie subject. I think that's really exciting. I think that, you know, it's frustrating still that in this day where we have so many great actors, like there are just so many terrific trans and gender nonconforming actors that were consistently going to the place of using non-trans actors to, to play trans roles. That's that's frustrating. Mm-hmm. And I think that when you see actors like Laverne Cox, um, really, you know, who there was a there was a casting decision taking a chance um, on an actor that was a, a newer actor, you know, taking a chance and having amazing success. It shows that you know if you take that chance, there actually are there are tons of actors that you could choose. Yeah. Um, uh, to, to tell the story. And I think that, you know, we need to have more of this. I mean, the idea of having non-trans actors play trans roles also plays into this idea of consistently telling a one-sided story about trans people's lives, that it's always about a medical transition, trans people are always depicted at the beginning of a medical transition, and that it's a way of kind of reinforcing the transness of the characters so that they're very visibly trans and that that's the way of telling the story. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of lazy casting, actually. Well, you brought up the idea that, you know, we're now seeing trans uh, trans people in, you know, TV shows and movies that aren't just there because they're trans. And I think that that's one of the most interesting things that Transparent does. That's the show on, on Amazon mm-hmm. is, you know, ultimately it is about, you know, Jeffrey Tambor, the character that he plays, uh, you know, that, that transition. But at the same time, at, by the last episode, you see it's actually really the story of this, like, eminently broken family. Like, you know, just everyone's kind of a jerk, like, regardless right. of it, you know. Um, is, is that the kind of thing where you sort of say – it was great to sort of be represented at one time, but now we're seeing different kinds of stories and that's a, an amazing thing. Like I think for me personally, and again, this is a sort of different thing, but you know, on, on race representation, you know, I didn't realize myself how great it would be to see different kinds of stories yeah. about say Asians until I saw them and I was like, Oh yeah, this is what I'm missing. Like what's that feeling like sort of seeing that? Yeah. I mean, this is where, this is what we need. I think we need to be able to tell I think people are interested in a diversity of stories, stories that reflect everyday life. And I mean, we live in a really diverse planet. Like, There's lots of different kinds of people and lots of different stories. And we are, it's 2015. We don't need to tell, only tell the story that is the trans story about the trans person being trans. And the story is about them being trans. Mm-hmm. We can have stories that are about long road trips in Saskatchewan, where the character <laughs> happens to be a trans, one of the people in the movie happens to be a trans person. I think that, you know, as we see, um, you know, more and more people just writing interesting, gripping fiction, you know, that hap- you know that has a lot of different kinds of characters. I mean, the stories are better, right? The yeah, stories are better. They're richer. I feel like that's sort of starting to happen uh, maybe not with trans representation because that's fairly newer in the media, but with with just gays and lesbians, there's more. There are definitely more characters on shows now 
who aren't just coming out. You know, right. the show starts and the character right. is already out and, and his or her sexuality is not the central theme. Yeah. They just happen to be gay as opposed to like, I would say even five years ago, if it was a lesbian storyline, it was always like a confused yeah. girl kisses another girl and then she en- either ends up back with a guy or dead. And I feel like right. that's it's true. Yeah, that's sort of changing slowly. But then also. I wonder, too, is there not this this fear of uh, sort of a too soon quality in the sense that, like, you know, you're talking about uh, I'm, I'm thinking back over the course of the last, you know, 15 years of all, all the movies that showcase that sort of like how people, you know, interact with, you know, people who are gay and people who are coming out and that kind of thing. And in the sense that pop culture sort of has this obligation to be a kind of guidebook in a way, the sort of a lot of people do use pop culture as like this is how people interact and like this is how things can go. And that's that's the sort of thing. Do you see that that pop culture does have this obligation to do that kind of thing? And do you worry that like it can get to the point where we no longer know and there's that sort of tension of not knowing. Well, I think, you know, certainly there is, I mean, in the last 15 years, there have been literally hundreds and hundreds of independent films Mm -hmm. about people's transition stories. There is not a dearth of this. If people are looking for a guidebook or looking for what, you know, those those sort of like coming out stories, there, there are some great stories out there. They exist. And they likely will not not exist. Like They're not going to be ripped from the fabric of time if we start telling more complicated stories. So I think that, you know, being able to use independent pop culture and sort of independent um, uh, films as a resource, there's tons of stuff out there, which I think is great. And it's sort of, we need to do a better job of archiving, of bringing these stories together in a way that are accessible and that are reachable, again, by people who are maybe not in an urban center. Um, that's that's a really important thing. And then I think um, one of the things that we sort of are still missing in terms of pop culture, like there's a lot of great stories and movies and articles being written that are towards an adult audience. And what we need is we also need stuff related to kids because there's a whole new generation of trans and gender variant kids and also kids who just are growing up around other trans and gender variant people, kids who are not trans themselves, but who have a lot of questions. And where do they go? They're not going to watch Transparent Mm -hmm. or or they're not going to watch Trans America because those are like adult stories. Mm -hmm. Um, So we need to also develop um, resources funny, interesting stories and kids shows and other things like that that are to a younger audience because they really are like this next generation that are growing up with a totally different understanding of what's possible. You know, in terms of pop culture, I mean, a lot of, I mean, I'm an artist myself and I think that, you know, um, being the arts and, and sort of the entertainment industry has an opportunity to tell you know, to tell funny and interesting or sad and interesting stories about our lives. And I think that there is a responsibility to tell more than one story. I mean, again, most of us exist in more than one community, right? So when we're talking about or telling stories about trans people, we need to tell stories about trans people of color. We need to tell stories about trans people with disabilities. We need to tell stories about queer people with disabilities who are racialized. Like We need to bring all of it together because... We exist, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like that um, teen show that's on right now that I've talked about before that's really bad, but I love it. It's called Faking It on MTV. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it sort of takes place in this faux, this world that is completely unrealistic, but it takes place in Austin, Texas at what's supposed to be like a very progressive, artsy high school where it's really cool to be gay and trans. And it's mm-hmm. totally unrealistic, but I can see why it's so popular and how that could be very powerful and good to watch Mm -hmm. if you are a closeted teenager or something to see this kind of 
fantastical world that will never exist, but be able to sort of live vicariously through it. So, but isn't also the crux of that story is that there's two straight girls who feel like they don't fit in, so they pretend that they're gay to seem like to they be cool, and then cool. one of them um, discovers that she is gay. Oh, I see. Yeah. Spoiler alert. It's basically like my <laughs> college <Spoiler>. experience. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, Thanks. Cyrus. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me. It's been a difficult week in Baltimore. In the wake of the death of Freddie Gray, a 25-year-old who died in police custody, the city has gone from peaceful protests to spates of violence. Hundreds have been arrested or injured, buildings have been burned down and looted. But one man has been working to bring calm to the streets the only way he knows how, the power of music. Dimitri Reeves took to the Baltimore streets at the height of the riots and performed a Michael Jackson tribute. Footage of him dancing went viral, bringing joy amid a tough situation. Dimitri joins us in Baltimore by phone today. Thanks for joining us. No problem. Thanks for calling. I really appreciate it. So uh, what's it like uh, out in Baltimore right now? What's it like in Baltimore right now? Well, we haven't <laughs> – on our street, it's quiet. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, um, down the street, I heard there's a lot going on. My father – I just called my dad, and my dad stays watching it to be, for me to be careful um, when I go – because we're about to go out today again. And, um, you know, any way we can help, we're, we're trying to. Yeah, and, and, and the way that you're helping has obviously become such a big, great story in, in, in the face of something, like, pretty terrible. Uh, I guess, how long have you been uh, singing and performing in Baltimore out there? Oh, wow, I've been doing this for about three years. Uh, I've been dancing since, since I was five years old, but for three years we've been doing it out in the street corners and stuff. And, and the footage of you, of you dancing out there is, in the middle of the protests is, is, is amazing. <laughs> what was it that made you go out and do it? Um, we, we, we normally do this on a normal basis again, but what made me do it, um, is we saw CNN and, um, it felt like, it felt like Batman for a minute looking at the TV, <laughs> you know, CNN and seeing all the things burned down and everything. I'm like, Oh gosh, you know, I, I was like, well, let me go out there and see what I can do if I can, because both I'm pretty well known about around Baltimore from try, I, um, I do the Michael Jackson tribute and, um, I just was like, well, let me see if I can do man the mirror and get some people to just calm down. You know what I mean? Um, spread some positivity because um, there was so much negativity down in that area. So, mm-hmm. Well, you know, you, sure, you had been going out and doing all these things in the streets, you know, all the time. But you had to know this sort of would mean more given the circumstances, right? Yeah, 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 yeah definitely. 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 I, I, I was actually telling my manager, I said, now is the time. To go out, if, if, if any time was the time, now is the time, <laughs> you know, because, you know, um, we, we're about spreading positivity and we actually go to the hood areas. Um, if this wasn't going on right now, we would be somewhere in some rural hood area that have houses torn down and everything and performing for the less fortunate. How long were you out there and what have you, what did you sort of... We were out there for two and a half hours. Mm-hmm. Um, we normally go for five, most time like seven, eight hours, like a normal work day because we hit a spot we move we hit a spot we move we take a break we hit a spot move you know mm-hmm. um that that's what we normally do mm-hmm. and and what was the, the reaction that you you heard from everybody they loved it they loved it i i was i was surprised i was kind of scared when i saw the mob coming down the street i thought they were gonna hop on the truck they started hopping on the truck i thought they were coming to get me <laughs> <laughs> so I, I was like oh god you know hey i'm, I'm just sorry they were like yeah, yeah let's go yeah you know let's do this let's do it yeah dimitri go ahead boy go ahead yeah michael jackson blah, blah. i'm like oh my god they call me michael jackson not michael jackson dimitri but um you know um they i really appreciated everyone coming out and supporting me and, and um, i'm supporting you know the movement that um I'm trying to create in a way, just trying to show people, you know, just let's have fun. I mean, let's just, let's just, you know, do it in a positive. Well, protests are doing it in a positive way instead of just burning and, and, and breaking stuff. You get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. It's, it's un, I feel like it's unnecessary to do that because at the end of the day, the news, if everybody right now, CNN and everybody just rolled out, we got to live with the trash in our backyard. <laughs> it's like, I don't understand, but mm-hmm. hey. Yeah, you mentioned that, that there was a there was that moment that was scary. Was there a particularly scary moment for you, like as, as you were doing it, a scariest moment for you? Yeah, well, well I, I, was, and I was being dramatic, but it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't really scary. But um, no, it wasn't really a scary moment. Um, Actually, a little, I got a little tense when I saw the officers with the riot shield come towards me. I was like, oh, my gosh, like, this is really, oh, my gosh, like, they're really marching. This is stuff I've seen on CNN with Ferguson. This is stuff I've seen on TV movies and stuff. So mm-hmm. I'm like, wow, I'm really in front of this. This is really happening in front of me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that you're actually living this life now. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm like, oh, wow, this is really not, this isn't a game, you know. Yeah. And uh, you actually did, you performed Man of the Mirror in front of uh, Riot Police, right? I did. I, I performed Man of the Mirror in front of the Riot Police, and I performed Beat It. And I did that, um, and I, I they they started backing up slowly and everything because they they knew you know because the police Baltimore police I don't know if that um, I don't want to speak unintelligently but I don't know if that was the whole Baltimore police squad or whatever because but most Baltimore police um, know me mm-hmm. um, if not know me know of me mm-hmm. and they support me and tip you know put money in the tip jar when I have it stuff like that um, but you know it was it was kind of. Uh, tense when I, I was kind of scared. Cause I was like, I, I was performing, but I'm like, what if one of these policemen think I'm coming after them mm-hmm. and shoot me with a taser? That's going to be scary. You know, that's not going to be good. So I tried to keep my distance a little bit, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but let's talk about the song Man in the Mirror because it, it's such a beautiful song on its own, but the fact that you were doing it, sort of, it was just you on your own in front of riot police, that, that's kind of a beautiful thing, right? Yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. I almost started crying because, you know, it was just like, wow, people were recording it, and I'm just like, in this moment, like, wow, this is really a powerful moment, like, um, right now. This is really, wow, you know, mm-hmm. and the police were standing there looking. Like, they were looking. They were watching me. Mm-hmm. And that's what made, I think made it so um, touching for me because they were looking at me. They weren't like, you know, hey, shut it down and coming through. like that. They were just, like, standing there, and they just, you know, it was, it was crazy. Mm-hmm. What, do, what does the song then mean to you, Man of the Mirror? Man in the mirror means to me is that, you know, we want to, we want change. Like we want change so bad, but we we're too busy pointing the finger at other people and we don't change within ourselves. We don't look within ourselves and be like, Hey, look, we need to do this within ourselves. We need to, you know, I need to make a change within myself. Why am I acting the way I'm acting? I need to stop acting. I need to act a certain way because kids look up to us, older people. Um, I mean, well, I'm only 22. I'm talking like I'm 80 something, but I'm, <laughs> kids look up to us and we need to, you know, um, set an example and I feel like the adults do the adults can set an example and, 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 and um, you know me I feel like me as a per, you know just as a uh, a young black man I feel like I wanted to just get out there and, and show like you know I'm not we're not all about all that you know acting nonsense you know acting all that craziness you know it's, it's, it's mostly just I'm doing it out of love and, and purity Most guys, some guy actually said I, I'm trying to capitalize on this moment and it, it hurt me because it's like, what? Like mm-hmm. I'm trying to capitalize. No, I'm I'm doing. If if you knew, I do this all the time in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Um, and it's like I do this all the time. And he's trying to say I'm trying to capitalize on a moment. No, that's mm-hmm. not the case at all. I'm trying to help out Baltimore. I'm trying to do something. Well, even if it's just a drop in the ocean, I I don't care. I'm just trying to help any way I can because I care about Baltimore. Mm-hmm. The the footage really to me is is about the, just the essential power of music in its own right. I mean, what what does music mean to you? Obviously, you've been singing for so long and performing, but it also obviously has the power to heal, right? 
Yes, yes. Music gives, oh my gosh, music gives me chills when I listen to it, especially a certain song, if I'm feeling that song. Music is powerful, a drug that you can't touch. And and obviously these are like, this. these are hard times for Baltimore, and you've lived there. Did you say that you lived there your entire life? No, I lived, there, I lived here for about three years, going on four years. Okay. And can you know, good come out of this? Um, I, I don't think, with, with the way that, with the, you know, burning stuff down and rioting and just destroying stuff, no. Mm-hmm. But if they keep to, you know, peaceful protesting and, and and marching and everything, I think, yeah, I think it really could catch a lot. You know, people coming from all over should come down and march and everything and, and stuff like that. That's what it should be. Instead of just, you know, the way Martin Luther King did it. Mm-hmm. You get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's like he, he didn't go and, and, and break stuff like, that, stuff like that. It was You know, he was promoting nonviolence. The way that that is more more powerful, much more powerful than destroying stuff. Mm-hmm. What was what was the single best response you got out of uh, the dancing that you did out there? Single best when I, um, when the protesters came by, um, it was a it was a oh my gosh, it was a huge group of protesters. Like oh my, you ever see a pile of ants on a um, on a hill? Yeah. <laughs> and like how all the that's how it looked. It looked really big, and they came over and they were just like you know giving me thumbs up and they were like yeah and they were like you know yeah support blah blah and and and, and just this you know we they said they chanted Freddie and. Um, my prayers go out to his, um, his uh, friends and family. They, they cheered Freddie's name, and um, I I chanted it too. And everybody was just like on the same level. All right. Well, appreciate you taking the time. No problem. Thank you so much for calling. Well, that's it for this week. Thanks to Cyrus Marcus Ware and Dimitri Reeves for joining us. You can check out all the cool things Cyrus is doing at cyrusmarcusware.com. Find new episodes of The Thrill every Friday at mcleans.ca and subscribe for free on iTunes, Stitcher, and Beyond Pod. We've got some other great podcasts on the go, so please check out the Politics Podcast on the Hill and McLean's Voices to hear our columnists read their stuff, including Emma. Both are on iTunes and Stitcher. And if you haven't already checked out our new podcast, The Bibliopod, it's all about books. It's hosted by our senior writers, Anne Kingston and Brian Bethune, and it'll be on iTunes soon. Our theme song is by Young Clancy. You can follow Emma on Twitter at Emma Rose Title. You can follow Adrian at Adrian K. Lee. And you can follow me at Julia Del J. Thanks for joining us, everyone, and see you next week.